Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And this morning, our sermon text begins in verse 39. Uh, We'll be reading from verse 39 to verse 56. Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. This is God's Word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that You would send Your Spirit, that He would fill our hearts, that we would find joyful expectation in these days instead of the gloom of depression. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Do you remember learning where food comes from? As a child, this is one of the great discoveries that all those things you find in the grocery store didn't magically appear there. They came from somewhere. You remember perhaps that at that moment, you realized you would never uh, look at a hamburger in the same way. That's to say nothing of hot dogs. Does anyone really know where they come from? What about joy? Where does joy come from? You can't go to the supermarket you may have found and and buy joy on a shelf there. Some of you might say, I'd really like to know the answer to that question. And if you say that, you're in good company. On an annual basis, in the United States alone, pharmaceutical companies sell somewhere in the neighborhood of Fort billion dollars every year of antidepressants. There are a lot of people looking for joy. 
That's probably more true in our day, isn't it? Many people have lost joy. We're looking for the way back and hoping maybe that Amazon will be the means to get it. Don't you wish that joy could be delivered on your doorstep? That you open a box or open a bottle and there you find it. As we meditate on the incarnation of Christ, Scripture makes clear that the birth of Christ was a moment in history of inexpressible joy. In fact, Matthew in his Gospel goes so far as to say that it was exceedingly great joy. And what we find in this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth, these two expectant mothers, is that this exchange between the two of them was an exchange of pure joy. That Christ's incarnation was intended to bring great joy to His faithful people. After recording the revelation to Mary that Gabriel brought to her that she would bear the Christ child, we find that the very next scene in this history is that uh, the flight to Judah, as it were. Mary immediately went south down into the region of Judah, traveling over and through the hills to meet with her kinswoman, Elizabeth, to find her cousin there because it had been revealed to her that Elizabeth was also pregnant. This move by Mary was certainly in response to Gabriel's revelation that Elizabeth was pregnant. Perhaps she went to investigate this fact. You remember that as we closed the last passage of Scripture, one of the things that Luke revealed to us is is that Mary was filled with faith. She accepted the message of Gabriel. This is shown to us again in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. Notice that what Elizabeth said for, to her, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So there is in Mary this expectation, this, this faith. She has accepted the message. But we remember that her final remark there was, it could possibly be to your servant according to your word. There, there is within her faith, perhaps mixed in this, this element of, of doubt, this wonder, is this really the case? And, and that's important for us. Why? Because as Mark is recording these events, every now and then we'll see him sort of chime in with an editorial comment. Mark, uh, Luke is a historian, but he is also a theologian. And as he is recording these events, remember that in the back of his mind, he has a friend there. I'm writing all of these things to someone. And the reason that I am writing all of these things to that man is why? To give him a certainty about what has taken place. And so all along, as Luke is recording the history of these events, and he says, I'm going to present to you an orderly 
recollection of what happened. I'm going to do something different from Matthew and Mark and John. I'm going to put it in order to the best of my ability. But Theophilus, the reason that I'm setting it down is to give you a certainty. So Luke's gospel is all about what? Belief. And as we see these events taking place and unfolding, Luke repeatedly emphasizes to us the nature of true belief, the nature of faith, that even the folks who are involved in the incarnation had to have faith. Mary had to have faith. And Luke teaches us in this particular scene the relationship between faith and joy but also there's another, there's another character who appears here. One that you might overlook. And the other person who appears in this passage, in fact, throughout the incarnation for Luke, is the Holy Spirit. Never forget that when we come and we enjoy all the lights and the baubles and, and all the artifacts and the presence of Christmas and we think about that manger scene, that what is incredible of that, about that scene is that the triune God is at work there. The divine Christ cannot be separated from the divine Spirit and the divine Father it is a triune work, and Luke, in his gospel, brings that out to us more than any other, at least explicitly. And as we think about this work of the Spirit, this work of joy and faith, the first thing that we notice is that the incarnation brings great joy to those who receive it by faith. The incarnation of Christ brings Great joy to those who receive it by faith. Faith, we notice this in verses 39 to 41. Notice how Luke begins this section. In those days, Mary arose and went. Do you see how she went? With haste. She wasted no time leaving her home there in northern Nazareth, that nowhere town in the middle of nowhere in Galilee, to come south to visit her sister, her cousin, Elizabeth. Listen, this is a demonstration of Mary's faith. She's received this message from Gabriel. She believes that there's truth in it. But what is one simple way for Mary to go and say, this is absolutely true? Go visit your cousin. Gabriel had told her, your cousin is six months pregnant. Mary could go and validate this message. Is it true? Is all of this true? When I get to see my cousin Elizabeth, is she going to have a, a protruding belly? Is there going to be a, 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 a child there? Mary is going on this journey to verify this message. And of, of course, Luke would commend this. Why? Because this is exactly what he's saying to Theophilus. Theophilus, I'm not saying to you there's no evidence for these things. This is not belief in spite of evidence pointing in the opposite direction. Believe the evidence. This is exactly what Mary did. This is what faith does. It grips onto these things and looks into them. 
It expects that if God is a God of truth, then I can look anywhere and find that truth. Everywhere I look, whether it be in a history book or under a microscope, my faith will be confirmed. Mary journeyed south into Nazareth and she knocked on the door of Zechariah and opened the door and she saw her cousin pregnant. It was just as Gabriel said. In fact, this was God's intent all along to build up her faith, to strengthen her. You're right to believe, Mary. All of these things are true. And that brings us back to the central theme of Luke's gospel to build up your faith. It's not just a history book, it is that but it is a history book with a theology woven into it, beautifully making a picture of the Christian life and how we come to accept these things. And we learn that even the incarnation is something to be received by faith. It was something that Mary had to receive by faith. And through that faith, great joy was given. Faith. Faith is not the absence of all doubt. It is not believing despite what the evidence says. Faith faith is not blind trust. Do you understand that? Do you know that the reformers who went before us, Calvin and Luther and all these guys, said one of the problems in our day is that everybody's going to church and they're told, just believe what the church tells you to believe. If that's a piece of wood from Jesus' cross over there and you're going to get grace from touching it, well, by all means, pay the money to touch it. No, saving faith is an explicit faith that you know what you're putting your trust in. What's the song say? I know whom I have believed. Faith is the acceptance of God's testimony to reality. It is the belief that no matter where I look, I will find evidence of God and of His gospel. Isn't that what Psalm 19 teaches us? Day to day and night to night pours forth speech. God is not hiding. Luke demonstrated Mary's faith here, but another thing is demonstrated for us explicitly. Luke wants you to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice how Elizabeth responded in verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, notice, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke is giving you an editorial comment there. Uh, Elizabeth didn't stand back and say, Mary, I just had the Holy Spirit come upon me. Luke is applying his theology to the situation. So that we know everything that comes after this is a result of the work of the Spirit in Elizabeth. Verse 42, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Do you see the nature of her joy? This is a loud and exciting leap. She cries out, blessed are you among women. The Spirit's work 
here then is demonstrated in two people. The first person that the Spirit's work is demonstrated in is a six-month-old pre-born child. Turn back over with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 15. We'll begin with verse 14. This is Gabriel in his first appearance to Zechariah. And you will have joy and gladness. You see that theme? And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. This is a reference to John the Baptist. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And notice this phrase. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. When? Even from his mother's womb. You see, while scientists and politicians are trying to define humanity by the number of fingers and toes that you have, or whether you can feel pain or not, we understand that from God's perspective, you are a human being from the moment of your conception. Why? Because you possess a soul, and that soul is capable of being filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit from the moment of his conception. Wrap your mind around that. And Elizabeth, notice in verse 44 how John responded to the sound of Mary's voice. He leapt. How? The Greek term is with jubilation. Six-month-old, pre-born child exhibiting the presence of the Holy Spirit within him by leaping for joy. To Elizabeth and to Mary, this was yet again another sign that everything Gabriel had said was true. How were they to know that John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth? He can't speak. He can't rap on the womb and say, I got the Spirit. Um, no tongues there, uh, right? Um, John, when he was born, his head lolled around like every child, but even there had the Spirit. And there's a lot to be said there about why we have an expectation of our own children coming to faith. The work of the Spirit is present in the joy of John. It is also present in the joy of Elizabeth. Remember, Luke carefully interjected and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So now we have two of the three parties filled with the Spirit and we know that Mary is pregnant. How? Because of the work of the Spirit. All that follows here in what Elizabeth said is, is not just a demonstration of Elizabeth's prowess, not because she's exceedingly wise or smart or intelligent. It is a demonstration of the Spirit's work. Now, it isn't clear here, is it, if it, the nature of Mary's greeting. Did she say, hey, Elizabeth, I'm pregnant. Or did Elizabeth receive a, a revelation in that moment from the Spirit Himself that gave her that intuition? We don't know, but what is clear is that the, the joy that she received from Mary's greeting was given her by that Spirit. And here we recognize the work of the Spirit in our own lives. 
Remember the question that we began with at the opening of the sermon. Where does joy come from? Can you buy it in a store? Can you order it online? Is it in a spouse, a husband, or a wife? And whether they succeed or not, your expectations? We recognize that the joy we have in faith comes from God, the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, as new believers, when we, when we first come to faith, we're excited about telling, sharing our testimony. And, and we'll share our testimony with others and we'll say, well, I was sitting you know, in this church pew at this moment and the pastor was preaching this message. Or uh, my parents raised me and I, I've never known a moment when I, I wasn't walking with the Lord. And so we'll, as, as new believers, we'll often give credit for our faith to other people. Here we are reminded that faith is always and only the work of God's Spirit within us. But do you notice how carefully Luke portrays this? That the two are not to be separated? Elizabeth reminds us that both the greeting, the proclamation, the Word of God, and the work of Spirit are necessary. We need teachers, we need parents, and friends who teach the message of the Gospel because it is through that means that the Spirit works. It was necessary for Mary to come so that Elizabeth's joy might be full. And that joy was given to her by God, the Holy Spirit. That's why as children we learn from Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. The incarnation brings great joy to the faithful. Secondly, the incarnation brings great joy and and here's the foundation. The incarnation brings great joy because it demonstrates God's covenant faithfulness. The incarnation brings great joy because it demonstrates to you God's covenant faithfulness. We call verses 45 to, or 46 to 56 Mary's Magnificat. Sometimes you, you might have heard that. You might have uh, even have heard it uh, sung. The reason it's called Magnificat is because of the one word that uh, uh, occurs here in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. After being blessed by Elizabeth now, Mary, Mary herself is filled with exceeding joy. Why? Because everything that Gabriel has said to her is now proved true. There she is. There's Elizabeth. And, and guess what? She's six months pre- pregnant, just as the angel said to me. And now Mary's response is, because she too is filled with the Holy Spirit, is exceeding joy. Her response is to turn and to worship her great God. It is, her song is a beautiful meditation on the powerful work of a transcendent God. I want you to turn with me now just to to notice that Mary's song parallels another song. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 
might say that Mary was not the first Mary, in a sense, to experience profound joy because of God's work in providing a child. I think I said chapter 1. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 2. Here we encounter a young lady by the name of Hannah. And you'll remember that Hannah had been barren for many years and she was despised in a lowly position. Why? By her husband because she wasn't able to give him a son. And she went to the temple and cried out and pled with the Lord for a son. And God, seemingly perhaps immaculately, though we know that's not the case, provided her with a son whom Hannah devoted to the service of the Lord as a worker in the temple. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, we find her magnificat. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exults in the Lord. Do you hear the echo? Mary, in a sense, is channeling Hannah. Perhaps she had memorized these verses, meditated herself upon these words, my, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. We see another wonderful aspect of this young girl, Mary, who had so devoured the Scriptures that when she when she broke forth in praise of God, she used the Word itself. Going back now to Luke chapter 1. Notice that Mary, like Hannah, rejoiced that God cares for the lowly. Do you know that? God cares for the lowly. My soul, she says in verse 46, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. Literally there, He looks on the low estate of His slave. Martin Luther, as he's reflecting on these words, says this, they do Mary wrong, who say that she gloried not in her virginity, but in her humility. You see, there's on the one side the Roman Catholic position that Mary is rejoicing in her virginity. On the other side, those trying to correct it, saying, no, she's rejoicing in her humility. Luther says she gloried neither in her virginity nor in her humility, but solely in God's gracious regard. The stress should not be on the low estate but on the word regarded. How can this be that a little country girl in the middle of nowhere would be found in the, the eyes of the Lord? I'm the last person that he ought to find. And we are reminded of God's covenantal care for His people that it is amazing because of who we are. Mary did not have a, a sense of false humility. Mary was mindful of how extraordinary this was. How extraordinary it was that God 
the God of all creation would create a man, a man, and then create a bond of blood with that man, that the infinite, the eternal, the unchanging God would bind himself to Adam. That he bound himself to another man, to Abram. Even though he was an idol worshiper, that God would come down to this man and bind himself to him covenantally. That he took lowly David from the sheepfold and made him a king. David then recounting, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You see, there David in Psalm chapter 8 is marveling that God would have any concern for man at all. What are we, dust? And yet this is a source of great joy. The same God who scatters the proud, who brings down rulers, also exalts lowly ones. He satisfies the hungry and He sends the rich away empty. Mary rejoiced in the everlasting effect of God's mighty work. Not only did He care for the lowly, but that his mighty work would have an everlasting effect. Notice in verses 49 to 50, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Notice in verse 48, just above that, how she said, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Let, Let that sink in for just a second. For how long will generations of people call Mary blessed? Does Mary, in verse 48, conceive of a time when there will be a generation on the earth who will look back at the work of God to cause her to bear the Christ child and not call her blessed? We often think of future generations with pessimism, don't we? We think, what is becoming of this generation? Mary did not share your pessimism. There will not be a future generation that does not call Mary blessed. And this was another source of joy for her and for you. A third reason that Mary rejoiced, she rejoiced in God's covenant faithfulness. He is the one who looks upon the lowly. His work is eternal. It will not be undone. And lastly, Mary rejoiced in God's covenant faithfulness in verses 54 to 55. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Mary acknowledged that the work God was doing through her would result in the aid of all Israel. And this brings us back around full circle in a sense, doesn't it? The angel Gabriel came, specifically Gabriel came 
to recollect all of the revelation given to Daniel in 7, 8, and 9 that here is the beginning of the end. Mary knows that. Mary knew what the appearance of Daniel meant. Here it is. The fullness of time has come. The help of Israel has come. No longer will we be a scattered people, but now God will give us a faithful shepherd who will gather His sheep now from all nations. She remembered why God redeemed Israel. Because they were many. Because they were great. No. God redeemed Israel because He promised to do so. Verse 55, this is in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. God promised in Genesis chapter 12 to make Abraham's name great. To give him a seed in an everlasting covenant. In Christ, God fulfills that promise. Notice something that might elude you in verse 55. To Abraham and to his offspring forever. Offspring is not a plural noun. Mary is referring to one child. To Abraham and to his son forever. This is a reference to God's ultimate promise. Mary knows that the seed promised to Eve who would crush the head of the serpent, the seed that would come from Abraham, the seed that would come from David, the one man who would sit on the throne of David forever according to the promise of God is one in her womb, the Lord Jesus Christ who fulfills all the requirements of the covenant of grace for you. Christ's Incarnation was to bring great joy to His faithful people. Today, if you are one who struggles with joy, and every sinner does, go back to the Incarnation. Remember all these things. Talk about them with your family. Meditate upon these things just like Mary did when she treasured all these things within her heart. God is mindful of the lowly. He's a covenant-keeping God. Mary, according to verse 56, after three months, about the time that Elizabeth was ready to give birth to John, she went back home. Luther, in one of his sermons, notes this. See how purely she leaves all to God. And claims to herself no works, honor, or reputation. She behaves just as she did before any of this was hers. Seeks no greater honor. Is not puffed up. Vaunts not herself. Calls out to no one that she is the mother of God. But goes into the house and acts just as before. Milks cows. Cooks. Scrubs the kettles and sweeps the house like any housemaid or housemother in the most menial tasks as if none of these overwhelming gifts and graces were hers. 
Among the other women and neighbors, she was esteemed no more highly than before and did not ask to be. She was still a poor townswoman among the lowliest. How many were there who met her? Talked with her, ate and drank with her, and perhaps looked down upon her who, had they known, would have been overpowered in her presence. Mary didn't need any of that. Because the Spirit of God had given her an everlasting joy in knowing that her Christ was to be born. This true joy is a gift from God to those who are in covenant with Him through Christ. He gives us this gift of joy with faith by the working of His Holy Spirit. This truly is the gift of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we come before You this morning looking at this scene of Elizabeth and the babe, John and Mary, and seeing these three with, filled with joy, filled with jubilation, filled with exaltation, and, and, and seeing that it's, it's there. It's right at our fingertips. It's there for the taking. You are proclaiming to us through uh, this man that You had chosen, Luke. You're proclaiming to us that this joy can be ours. Father, would You give us Your Holy Spirit to enable us to reach out and take this joy? Would You fill us with it? Fill our hearts with exaltation as we remember that You have come down to the lowly, the meek, and the mild. You've given us Your Holy Spirit. You are a covenant-keeping God. Help us to rest in all of these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.